Welcome to our 82nd week in review on the Source podcast. My name is Michael Crutcher. Jordan McDonald, welcome. Hello, Michael. Back to school terms this week, back to busy roads. Yep. Yeah, it sure is. I haven't noticed it too bad just yet. The ride in this morning was very nice. Was it Fridays? We'll come to that actually in this podcast about Mondays and Fridays. Yeah, well, maybe that explains it, but... um, yeah, no, it was a smooth rain this morning. I had to drop Shannon into work too, so I had to go oh. through the city. Um, oh, it was all right. Yeah. It was okay. It was still. okay. Maybe because I left so early, but because that right. could be bad. That should be bad. Yeah, normally it is bad. Mm. Well, this is uh, week two of threads. We touched on threads last week. Yeah. And what has week two of the Twitter copycat? brought us right so if you missed last week's episode the um, company behind facebook and instagram has released a new app called threads and the app's basically a copy of twitter um, and then depending on uh, which ceo you are, uh, sorry it's a basically a better copy of, of twitter depending on which ceo you ask <laughs> yes. um, and it lets users post bite-sized thoughts accompanied by uh, photos videos or links so I shared my thoughts last week on the first 24 hours I spent in the app. Yep. My main three issues were there was no chronological feed. Yep. So it made it really hard to join conversations as they were happening. Uh, there was no separation between the recommended content in your feed and the accounts that I actually follow. Yep. Uh, which made it pretty hard to find friends on there. And the overall feel was good, but it was it was difficult to engage with the feed. It just felt overwhelming. Yep. Um, so yeah, it was changed in the last week. Well, for starters, Thread set a new record and has gained over a hundred million followers. Or sorry, users, I should say, in just five days since it was launched. And that's pretty impressive when you compare it to say ChatGPT, which took two months. Yep, that was in January, and then TikTok took nine months to do the same. So it's pretty fast. Yep. Now. The app also saw its first update, update number 291. I don't know how they get their numbers. Um, but the big fix was a bug that caused the app to crash every time you tried to attach a photo to a, a to your post. Yeah, because no one's doing that. No, not much at least. Yeah. Um, as for the user experience, it's improved a little bit. I've noticed that the news feed looks less crowded with accounts that I don't follow. I've seen slightly more of my friends post, but I'll be honest, they're not posting all that much anyway. Um, but they're, w- they're watching. They're watching. They're, they're spectating. Yes, yeah, they're spectating. just not sure. Yeah. But but as more of the brands that I do follow, you know, are adapting to the the new platform and, and creating their accounts, there are increased attempts at trying to be you know edgy and try and jump on that hype. So all I'm seeing from brands at the moment is, you know, those edgy memes or, yep. or otherwise they're just recycling content from yep. their other social media. I saw um, New York Mets baseball, who I follow, <coughs> did a shout out to other sporting teams, ah. which is quite interesting. And they got a whole bunch of other professional sporting teams to wave back to them with yeah, some that's, comment. that's pretty common. Yeah, so they're obviously trying to build up some type of – base there because it's been random to yeah, find what's I've coming. Yeah, I've seen a similar thing. PlayStation did a thing where it just did about 50 controller emojis and then other brands jumped on. So I think okay. an energy, energy drink brand did lightning bolts and all the yep. other things. Okay. 
Anyway, what's um, been more interesting for me this week has been the media coverage, uh, which is docu- documenting that rising tension between the two billionaire CEOs, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. The first two days of threads being available to the world, Twitter's traffic was down 5% compared to the week before. And if you compare it to year on year, it's 11, it was down 11%. Okay. That's uh, a pretty significant dip. Um, so clearly with threads that are 100 million users and the dip in Twitter traffic, there's at least a few Twitter users who are interested in checking out threads, yep. You'd, yep. you'd guess. Uh, and of course, the fact that Threads is a blatant copy of Twitter is bothering Elon Musk. I don't know how it wouldn't. He's claimed that Zuckerberg has poached some of his ex-Twitter employees, which were just annexed. <laughs> so can you blame them? Um, That's right. And use the trade secrets to create the lookalike. They had no job um, anyway. No. Yeah. Um, but uh, our spokesperson in the denied all those allegations. But other media has... Uh, pointed out how juvenile the two billionaires have become uh, and their behaviour. The the two have been engaging in the sort of back and forth, you know, social media jabs and, and there's continued talks the two might even fight still at some ah, stage this year. Yeah, of course. Look, I'm not really interested in the pettiness between the CEOs. Um, as the weeks tick along, I'm going to be taking note of my time on threads. I think it's very easy for the app to accumulate its users, obviously, it's so closely linked to Instagram, which as of May had, you know, 2 billion active users. Yep. And obviously we know the link between threads and Instagram. You can't uh, delete threads without deleting Instagram. So you can't get off it. You can't. So pretty much you got one, you've got both. Yeah. So threads can amass an audience of maybe 400 million by the end of the year, just an estimation. Yep. But it'll mean nothing if it can't keep us engaged. So Zuckerberg and Instagram CEO yep. Adam Mossery have been pretty active on threads at the beginning here. They've been responding to some feedback from some of the bigger tech influencers on on threads there. So we've been assured we can expect a few uh, changes to come, which will be a chronological feed, uh, yep. two separate feeds, one for recommended content, one yep. for people you follow. Um, so there will be big changes if they come. That's We discussed that last week, that... For me, it still has to be that because mm. I tried it during the State of Origin game three on Wednesday night and I didn't find much Origin content. Yeah. Like I'm looking to see, well, who's engaging on this platform on Origin. I'm sure people were. I just couldn't see them in the feed that was presented to me. Yeah. Yet I did see, like, I turned it on and really prominent in my feed was a post from the New South Wales Premier. Oh. And now I don't really follow many politicians. No. I, I don't know why Threads thinks I'm interested in something from the New South Wales Premier that was not Origin related. Oh. That was nothing to do with Origin. Oh, okay. That just is something that he wanted to talk about. So I'm just seeing posts at the moment from people I've never heard of. Yeah. Um, That's exactly not it. relevant to me and too many politicians, as I've said. And I'm also finding a whole bunch of comments from people I've muted on Twitter. So now I'm having to re-mute them again. Oh, right. Mainly political you commentary. You mentioned this last week. What was stopping those people that just turned into a cesspit over at Twitter just jumping across? Yeah. So you're seeing a couple hop across now. And already, So these people I've muted on Twitter because I just don't go there for mm. politics or people to 
shout about politics from either side. I don't really care for that in my feed. But so I'm, I'm having to remute these people mm. that I muted years ago. So that's been a bit of an exercise. You know how it's decentralized. They want it to be decentralized. This yep. social network, and you know, can speak to different platforms, so you can have conversations across. Wouldn't it be nice if you could mute someone on the threads and it mutes them everywhere that you're on? Hey, that would be really That'd good. That would be pretty good. Yeah, because mm. it just takes up, thinking, oh, there's that name I haven't seen for a while. Yeah. And it's just, I just don't go there for those types of, mm. you know, our party's better than your party and all that yeah, sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, um, okay, we'll keep an eye on threads because it's going to be very interesting, I think, as time goes on. Now, radio ratings came out again this week, the latest radio yep. ratings. It doesn't seem that long ago that we were... We spoke to Lutzi, I think, on the podcasts. Yeah, true, we did. About the ratings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he was in the back of a cab going to the airport, which yeah. seems like a few weeks ago. But we've got the latest ratings out <coughs> and they provided one really interesting piece of information that I wanted to bring up today. So whereas the media focus was again on the overall winner of the of this survey, Nova 106.9, Lutzi and his crew just ahead of B105 and then Triple M, but the most interesting story for me was the station that came in fourth. So 4BH triple one six. Okay. This is 4BH classic hits. Mm-hmm. Okay. As it brands itself, it's 9.8% share was bigger than 97.3, just 9.7. And then it was a fair way back to 4BC, its sister station. So 4BH's sister station okay. was 6.4 and yep. ABC was 5.2. So... There's 4BH quite a way out in front there. Now, when we go to different uh, s- sessions on the day, and I've printed this out so small I can barely read it, but I'm going to have a crack I'll, I'll at try. breakfast. Yeah. At breakfast, 4BH 7.9, 4BC 6.7. Um, there, So again, it's ahead of the sister station and pretty much ahead of the sister station all day. So it was up 1.4 points for BH for this survey. It's interesting because it seems to me that it costs a lot less to run 4BH than it does its sister station 4BC, which has a news talk format. And then, of course, you have uh, ABC with its talk format. In contrast, I just looked up what 4BH has just had on, so on its website, and it's had these songs on. It's just played Neil Diamond, Crackling Rosie. I've never actually heard that song. Not in your repertoire? No, I've not heard that one. No. What Eric, else we got there? You, you'd know it. Um, Olivia Newton-John, oh, A Little that More one. Love. Heard that one. Um, and Jimmy Cliff, I Can See Clearly Now. We had to do that song for uh, house choir at school. Oh, really? Yes, I know that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could tune in to 4BH. That's it. Uh, so the, the lower budget old songs format is paying off for a station that really had to pick itself up off the floor. And this is why I find this story even more interesting in the sense that 4BH has just gone through all these different changes over recent years. It became a, now let me get the language right, a lifestyle talk show. So I'm guessing that's when you ring up and talk about landscaping and other things like that. Sure. And it went to 0.5 in the ratings. Ooh. Yeah, so it was down there where you're sort of barely breathing country. Then it was turned into a sport format. Mm. When Macquarie had it, didn't quite work okay. for it there. Nine picked it up. And then it changed from uh, 882 on the dollar, triple one six as well. So it's had that change. And despite that, it's charged ahead of 4BC. So I find that interesting 
for showing us what we're listening to. What do people want to listen to? And maybe some people say there's so much happening in their lives, so much on their social media feeds. Just give me this classic hits format. They do have hosts on there, but give me this format. I want to listen to that. So that's sort of my guess of what's happened. But Triple J is really interesting as well. The uh, the youth station, if we like, in this survey. Yeah, yeah. The the beloved youth music network, which was obviously renowned at least when I first came across it for um, you know championing those emerging artists, particularly around Australia. Yeah, had a shocker in the ratings. Um, their latest survey reveals that it hits lowest performance in attracting its target audience since the ratings system began in 2014. So their target audience is obviously 18 to 24-year-old, yep. that demographic. Used to um, be me one time. Yes, yes, me as well. Um, so during any given 15-minute slot, only around 10,000 young listeners across the capitals are tuning into Triple J. Yeah, right. Just pretty, pretty low. So Triple J's cumulative reach throughout the week has dropped to a mere 350,000 among that same demographic too. And to make matters worse, the city of Adelaide recorded an average of zero listeners mm. for the age group. This is very interesting. So it's not good. So young people aren't listening to radio like they used to, clearly. But I also think it's, um, it, this could be a Triple J problem. Uh, you know, the Triple J I came across and used to love sounded like nothing like it does today. Yeah. You know, it used to be a, a, the big trendsetter. You know, it used to, uh, you know, showcasing all the new music. Yep. You sort of used yep. to influence all the lineups for the festivals. Splendour in the Grass being the big one. Yeah. It used to have to get onto that uh, website like half an hour before tickets went on sale. Yeah. miss out. Yeah. Because it would be sold out by lunchtime. I jumped on the stuff uh, just before. You could still buy every every uh, ticket. Yeah, wow. So it's just changed a yep. lot. So, you know, there's lot, there's lots more in the market for younger people to listen to. You've got so much more, uh, you know, with the streaming and, and playlists. Yep. There's options, sure, but you've got to adjust over time too. And I just think they haven't adjusted. Yeah, and it's a, you know, it's a sign there that maybe young people are just not listening to radio like you said they're just saying they're looking at other things they've got so many options now and the guys uh, with unmade some really good analysis of what's happened to triple j so i commend the unmade website if you want to check that out that stuff's worth worth reading on that Uh, i'm a uh, i listen to double j a bit which is old person's triple j yeah and it's got a lot of similar Mm. things to it um it's really you know, where this goes for ABC in terms of Triple J because it remains so influential in the music industry, unbelievably influential, yet it's just obviously not getting the listeners like it used to. I noticed they've got a like a version top 100 now, a hottest 100 like a version. I did see something about that yesterday. I haven't read about that yet. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it takes the like a versions out of the actual 100, which or, is what should have been happening yeah, a long time yeah, ago. You know my thoughts on We've that. We've argued thoughts. Yes. Now, actor strike, this is breaking <laughs> news as we speak depending on when you listen to the podcast, but right now it's breaking news. The actors' strike in the US, Jordan, it's going to impact on everyone who yeah, watches TV. Uh, yeah, so in what is it now? It's probably sort of 7 o'clock there, so in about five hours' time, the, um, the 160,000 members of the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television, God, it's a mouthful. <laughs> it's uh, just SAG-AFTRA uh, for short. They're going on strike because the Alliance of Motion Pictures and Television Producers did not meet their requests. 
So there's been action already. The um, was it the London premiere of Oppenheimer? Yes, Cillian Murphy and uh, I can't remember who yeah. else. They they the actors uh, walked out. Walked out. Um, so yeah, the strike will mark the biggest shutdown in Hollywood for over forty years, and obviously it causes an inevitable halt to the supply of TVs. Uh, sorry, new movies and TV series. So the last time apparently that the actors and the writers were on strike at the same time, like they are now was when Marilyn Monroe was still acting and Ronald Reagan was the president of the Actors Guild. There uh, you go, for a bit of useless information, but that shows us that's how right, it That's was. good trivia. Um, so the core concerns of the actors are compensation and the rise of artificial intelligence you know, as a potential replacement for, for human performers. So residual payments, they're obviously crucial for many of the actors to qualify for health insurance yep. and, and support their livelihoods. The writers, which is represented by the Writers Guild of America, they've already been on strike since May. Yeah. And it's obviously it's due to the similar concerns about compensation, compensation and staffing levels, and that's all to do with AI as well. They're facing challenges in finding steady employment as the number of writers in the writing rooms has been reduced and the rise of streaming has led to those shorter seasons and fewer residual payments. Yep. Um Studios have employed these creating of counting, sorry, creative accounting practices to avoid paying these future fees, and taking tax write-offs by wiping shows from servers or selling them off to other companies. So AI is a pretty significant concern for the writers, with studios exploring cheaper alternatives to create scripted content. And rightly so, we we've done a few of those exercises in uh, ChatGPT. Write this, and it writes uh, pretty comprehensive um, script. Indeed. So the strike by the writers has already impacted the studios. You know, it's led to delays in the movies and changes to TV show schedules. Um, what are we at here? I was looking at what things had been affected for me. Grey's Anatomy, Shannon's doing, not mine. Oh, okay. Yeah, we got yeah. to a brilliant cliffhanger. Nothing. So nothing. Nothing to come. Oh. Nothing to come. Yellowstone's another one. Oh, okay. Yeah, so directors are not included in the strike at the at the moment. They've already reached a deal with the AMPTP, but the lack of scripts and actors will still prevent them from making movies and TV shows, yeah, obviously. Yeah, the directors have come out in support of the actors and writers. So right, okay. They've come out in strong support of them. Um, and even after the strikes end, whenever they end, uh, if they end, this, the scheduling conflicts and the limited availability of talent is really going to uh, cause continued chaos in the industry for a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting this, and I think one of the parts is that both sides seem so far apart on it. They, they do, uh, don't they? They aren't close. Yeah. The studios are saying the economic conditions don't justify the demand that increases from the uh, actors and writers. But they then point to the massive salaries for the executives and some of the studios. So well, they seem a long it, way hey? apart. Mm. Uh, and in, of course, when it comes to strikes, those who suffer the most are those who earn the least, of course. So um, there will be some difficult times there. What happens from, from here? Um, you've described that already, which just means that we could probably all go back and catch up on all the shows we've never watched on streaming services, which True. just seems so overwhelming. True, there's a lot on there. There's a lot of stuff I've never watched that I probably should watch. Uh, so we'll be having to go back to the archives there. Uh, also, we could just be like young people and go to YouTube. Yeah, which has it. an endless supply of stuff uploaded every day, as yeah, we know. True. It's a bit like the end of the Truman Show movie. You know, right at the end of the Truman Show, after all of this drama, they just say to each other, "What else is on?" <laughs> so there's maybe a bit of this for now, but maybe. it'll be an impact in time. I guess it's just how long it takes to um, 
to get this resolved. Now, we flagged at the start of this episode, you said the drive in this morning was mm. um, was pretty cruisy yeah, for a Friday. Pretty good. Pretty very interesting it. story last weekend in the financial review. And of course, this is the weekend review. So we're looking back in seven days. And there was a story about Sydney and Melbourne CBD traffic and using sort of their go-card data, their transport card data down there to have a look at when people are coming into the CBD the most. Because what traders in the CBD are saying is they can't get a handle on this. It's just too confusing. Right. So, you know, they're trying to staff their, yeah, their businesses yeah. properly. Staff, you know, supply, all that stuff. The, the person in the story who was an example is, runs a barber shop, just trying to get enough barbers there, having too many there. So it seems as though that, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays remain the, the busy days in the city, in the right, CBD. that middle of the week. Monday and Friday, people are working yeah. from home, you know, yeah. doing doing whatever. But then on Friday, Friday is the busiest day for revenue from these businesses in the city. So while mm. the traffic is down, the revenue is up on a Friday. So more people oh, are okay. doing things. So, so there's not more people. No, not more people. In fact, oh. fewer people on Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday, but the revenue's up. So how do you staff all of this? So this is the really yeah, interesting thing. Hard. And we always said after COVID, we'd learn heaps about the way that we behave, which is pretty much what this podcast is about. You know, how do we behave um, and what things interest us? So we just wanted to bring that up because we'll keep learning more stuff as we go along. But I guess we're not in the CBDSL, so... No. But we know by the roads in the mornings. Yeah, well, I certainly get um, I get a sense of the traffic on the way in from the morning. I come from the south side down near Slacks Creek Way, so... You're yeah, get a pretty decent <clears throat> sense yep. coming in. If you sort of where if it if you get the traffic at a sort of exit eleven or exit five, you sort of know how busy it's going to be. Yep. Yeah. No. So it's uh, it was weirdly quiet this morning. Now, other things we look at for human behaviour is, of course, what we watch on TV this week: the State of Origin Game Three, and of course, it was the dead rubber. Yeah. So how much we're really engaged. I was caught out. I always wear maroon on Origin days. I wore a blue shirt. On oh, Wednesday, I didn't realise. I didn't even notice. It was a, I no was reprimand. Disgusted in myself, but I just yeah. wasn't engaged. So, um, views for the third game, which New South Wales won, boo. Yes, but it keeps keeps them in the series, I yeah. guess, in terms of long term. The views dropped by about twenty five percent on the game two figures. So numbers peaked at about one point four seven million of Metro viewers. You got to add in the broadcast True, video on yeah, demand. Yeah, yeah. There's another four hundred thousand. Um, so still the most watched show, 1.47 million versus The Chase on Channel 7, which had 548,000. <laughs> right, For The that 1.47 down from uh, the 1.833 million for Game 2 when Queensland won another series, of course. So, um, look, it's still really popular origin. We know that. Um, there's 75,000 turned out in Sydney to watch the Blues play for Pride. Yep. Um, so it's still a massive TV uh, thing. But, of course, it's a problem for the game as it tries to work out how to play this and not disrupt its club season like no other sport in the world has this type of disruption. Mm. So did you watch it on Wednesday night? The game? Yeah. Yeah, I did, but it was um, with broken attention. Yep. So, you know, I was sort of between the screen and my phone. Yep. Um, especially when I started putting on a couple of tries. Yeah, I thought. Uh, yeah, easy to. Uh, I didn't think we were that fantastic on on uh, Wednesday either. So I, was, I just wasn't as into it. I think Queensland plays better when we have something to go for. Yeah, true. No, no doubt. No doubt at all. Yeah. 
Um, we just want to mention one thing that happened during the week as well, which was the New York Times, their decision to disband their sports department. Mm, yes. So the New York Times no longer has a sports department, which is rather shocking in some ways, but in some other ways it's not. So what the New York Times will do now is use sports writers from The Athletic, the website that it owns. So The Athletic sports writers will have their copy featuring in the New York Times print edition and uh, through, uh, through its websites as well. So this is a really interesting move and of course we talk all the time about what news outlets are doing because the revenues have changed mm. now the new york times was seen as having a really good subscription model which helped it a lot yep. and gave it um revenue that it desperately needed uh now there's some people saying well one of the reasons that they've cut their their sports department is because they were doing negotiations on pay last year. You might remember uh, the, they faced a strike threat last yep, year. Yep. Uh, what they're saying is they, the, the athletics journalists weren't part of that negotiations because they're a separate arm. Anyway, they've come in now. They will do this. What I found interesting was a memo from the editors to the Times' newsroom on Monday yes. this week. They said, we plan to focus even more directly on distinctive high-impact news and enterprise journalism about how sports intersect with money, power, culture, politics and society at large. At the same time, we will scale back the newsroom's coverage of games, players, teams and leagues. Now, that's really hard to understand. I struggled. I sent this to you as well. I think we sent it to each other. Sort of going, what does that mean? I know, what does that mean? Um, these people use words for a living. What yeah. it means from my viewpoint is what they're trying to do is justify this decision. But to be an effective writer on sport in particular, you've got to know the players and the leagues. That's where the stories about how s sport intersect with money, power, culture, blah, blah, blah. That's how you get a grasp on them. You don't just sit yep. in an office, uh, look out the window and come up with decisions. Journalism is about understanding things, talking to people and to cut them off from covering games or covering leagues. Um, yeah, what it is to me is a way to save money. Yeah, I reckon you're probably spot on there. So I got that off my chest right at the end of the yeah. uh, podcast. Yep. Um, now I'm heading off to Wandai this weekend. Wandai. Wandai in the South Burnett for the um, Queensland Rugby League Country Week. Mm. The Devils were playing in uh, playing Winter Manly in Wandai, which will be fantastic. I love Country Week. Last year it was uh, <laughs> Roma. Roma was good last week. The year before that was Dysart. Yeah. So, oh, sorry, I chuckled because yesterday you said, oh, it's country, it's country game. We're heading out to what well, I thought you said, Bondi. I said, oh. <laughs> Bondi country. <laughs> it's a funny sort of that. <laughs> just not near the water. And yeah, uh, not near I definitely misheard you. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's Wandai, where I'll be yeah. heading shortly. What about you? Um, I have nothing tonight and I have work tomorrow night. I'm on um, designated driver duties oh, tonight. excellent. Yes, Shanine Shannon is on an end of financial year party tonight. Well, it's fair enough. Didn't too. know they were a real thing. <laughs> There's just parties every week with this job. I swear to God. So yeah, I'll uh, I'll be getting the phone call at whatever time. Enjoy <laughs> that. Yeah, I will. 